Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Today's Bible reading is from Colossians 4, 7 to 18, and that's Colossians 4, 7 to 18. Once I finish reading the Bible passage for today, I'm going to end by saying, this is the word of the Lord, and you shall respond by saying, thanks be to God. Titus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for, to express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Omismus, our faithful and dear brother, who, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Atticus, sends you his greetings and does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. Thus are the only Jews amongst my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have proved a comfort to me. Ephraim, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and full and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hyperpolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas sends greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters of Laodicea and of Nephirm, and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the churches of Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Arphippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you, this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bimba. I'm sure that was fun, right? <laughs> Whoever chose you, oh, maybe they have a, who, who chose you to, take it with Pelumia, I'm sure, like, why did you? Thank you, thank you for, um, thanks, but thanks for reading. Um, and uh, good morning, um, my name is Femi. If you're here for the first time, uh, I should tell you that I normally don't sit down to preach. Um, what happened was I had a really rough night. As I explained to uh, Yami earlier today, I said, when, um, when you have a prophet chasing you in your dream, you know you had a very bad night. I literally had a prophet chasing me in my dream. So I had a terrible fever overnight. I'm still trying to recover from that. So just bear with me as I sit down um, here. 
Um, so we've come to the end of the book of Colossians. If you are just joining us for the first time, uh, it's a very nice time for you to join, right? This is the final sermon in a particular series, but uh, hopefully we could whet your appetite to then join our next series. Uh, but we've been going through the entire book of Colossians. We've come to the end of it. And um, what we see here is making me reflect on a few things. And one of that is uh, greetings. You know, generally, greetings aren't just greetings. I remember when I was about five or six, somewhere around five or six, you know, the honeymoon was over, was over with my dad. I was no longer that cute boy. So he calls me and says, friend, come here. Now, anytime you see me or you see any older person, right, what you do when you greet them is that you prostrate. And by prostrating, he meant that you put your two hands on the floor and then you stretch your two legs behind. That's what was prostrating. Well, you planked. No, I didn't plank. It wasn't planking. So I'm getting there. So you, you, so you kind of you know, do that, put the two legs backwards. And my sister's as well. It was when you see an adult, um, you kneel down, and your two knees must touch the ground. Now, as time went on, you know, modernized. And so when I saw my dad, after a while, it was sort of this. Like, more than that. Some, some people, Femi, I can't say in the first service, that you, you use your own hand to touch the ground. But after a while, that hand doesn't touch the ground. It starts to almost, to almost touch your foot. And you, lick, you take the other one. And then after, you start greeting him like a Japanese. That's right. <laughs> you know. And then after, you start moving your head. And now we just, I just lean on him, hug the guy. You know. And with my sisters, it was um, literally, they started to, it was from touching the ground. And I remember when we used to go home. Not go home. I used to go to my grandmother's house for Christmas, and all my dad's aunts would be there. And my dad's sister, so my, my, uh, my aunts, and the older ones, the ones that are older than my dad. And my sister is just passing, and she kind of, kind of just cuts it, ah, 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 too, too. <laughs> you don't know how to greet again. <laughs> you know, you'll not be talking to me like, can you see how she didn't greet me? They'll now call my mom. They don't call my dad, though. It's my mom. You have not trained this girl well, because obviously my dad was trained well because of their sister. You know that kind of thing. Your brothers are mean people. So they too started, it was touching the ground. The next thing was this. The next thing was as though they were British and in front of the queen, this. And then they too now just hug. And what do we read from that? We can learn a lot from the culture through the greetings. I actually think that what that teaches us is the evolution of our culture as it's been also influenced by the Western world. That is, in the Western world, you actually don't, most times, you don't actually have to do any of those things. You just hug. And so we gradually moved as more and more Lagos has been influenced uh, by the West. You know, you, 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 uh, we started to go up and up and up. I mean, it's different if you are in Ilorin, for instance. Ilorin has not been influenced by that. I mean, they're still. So when I see the people from Ilorin here and they just get me and they do like that, I'm like, just with another one is coming, all right? It hasn't ended there. All right, so as I'm saying that, what we see is that greetings aren't just greetings. We learn a lot from those greetings. In this particular one I just described, we learn the evolution of a culture. And also in parting greetings, we find parting greetings aren't just greetings. Paul shows us here with this last, um, uh, um, uh, this reading that Bimbo read for us, Paul shows us also that greetings aren't greetings. Now, I know some of us, when we read the Bible, there are certain parts of the Bible that we feel are just boring and unnecessary. Come on, you can say it. I know you're in church, but don't worry. <laughs> Thunder won't strike you. 
as long as it's not passages about Jesus, I, I can't guarantee you anything there. But when you get to genealogies, what do you like to do? Well, the point is that this guy begat this guy, and this guy, just look at the beginning and look at the end. That guy begat all the people that came all the way to the end. Can I go to the next chapter? Or how about this one? Temple measurements. Five cubits by eight cubits by three. It's like, what is going on? Can we get to the end? Have you ever read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 40 to 47? It's all about measurements. I know you've not read it, right? You've not read it. You didn't know that, did you? Oh, the book of Exodus just ends when they, after, God, uh, after they did the whole, um, the Red Sea. After the Red Sea and Ten Commandments, you don't read further than that, do you? Or how about land allotments? I read land allotments, you know, Joshua, where they say, allot this part of this land, this measure. You don't read all of those things. So we skip all of those, or you just skip the whole book of Leviticus. Don't lie, right? <laughs> I think this is what we also do when it comes to the greetings of the epistles. We see it to be largely unnecessary. In fact, some of us are saying, hey, you know what? This book of Colossians has been profound. It's given us great theology. It's given us life applications in our marriage, our parenting, and our work. So why bother ourselves with this unnecessary list of greetings? Why is this even in the Bible? Now, we must remember that we need to look deeper because, as we said, greetings aren't just greetings. What we deduce from Paul's greeting in this particular passage is this, a picture of what it takes to succeed in the, in the mission to advance God's kingdom. I'll say that again. What we learn or we can deduce from Paul's greetings here is a picture of what it takes to succeed in the mission to advance God's kingdom. In other words, this is not your average greeting. And that's why we term the sermon, or title the sermon with that. So, what we want to see, just three quick things, more than um, in this not your average greeting, we'll look at it in uh, three uh, sections. The first is more, more than one person. Second is more than one kind of person. And third, more of the grace of one God. More than one person, more than one kind of person, and more of the grace of one God. So let's go with the first one. Now, when you think about the iPod. Remember the iPod? Right? iPod. Remember? Some of us. It was too expensive for some of us. But now you are, you are bigger. So when you think about the iPad, some of us have the iPad, right? The iPad. Woo! iMac. iPhone. iPastor. And even, even just the letter I itself. Which organization do you think about? Apple. And what individual comes to your mind? Steve Jobs, right? Because he's the founder of Apple, right? Yeah. Wrong. Have you ever heard of Steve Wozniak? Right? That guy and Steve Jobs founded Apple together. In fact, here you have two of them back in the day. Now, obviously, you can see why they didn't use to front uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs <laughs> had to be the person. That's another story. Now, when you think about Apple and all the products that come out, you know one of the things you think about is that how someone was able to take hardware and make it an artifact of excellent design. When you think about Steve Jobs, we think about how he made hardware sexy. And yet, really, I want to introduce you to another person. How many of us know this guy? Johnny Ive. Who's heard of Johnny Ive? Well, Johnny Ive was he went to Apple in 1992. He's only just stepping down this year. 
27 years. Guess what? Johnny Ive designed the iMac. He designed the iPod. He designed the MacBook. He designed the iPhone. Actually, most of the designs, the, the designs that we think about when we think about Apple, he was responsible for it. In fact, their current facility that they are building, he's the one that is also designing it. When the British, um, in 2004, they were thinking about the, um, the thought of the 100 most influential people in culture there, he was number one there. When we think about the gospel, when we think about Christian theology, when we think about apostolic church planting, what name comes to mind? Paul. Paul wasn't he? He was a one-man wrecking ball, Paul. He took on the whole world. It was Paul against the Roman Empire. Paul against all the gods of the Gentiles. He really was the prototype for our modern-day one-man or one-woman ministry. You know, that man of God, that stance. And he, he towers over his congregation, and he spreads his wing to cover his, his congregation so that, as one man of God said, when all these spirits are coming, those witches that are coming against you, I jam them. <laughs> I jam them on your behalf. So that when we think about certain churches, if I just call them, you just think one person. You know what Paul shows us here? Paul shows us exactly what we think about when we think about Apple. To think about Apple and just think about Steve Jobs is really a myth. What Paul shows us here is that to think about the advance of God's kingdom among, in the Roman Empire among the Gentiles and just think about Paul. Paul says this is a myth. It is purely fictional and it is very dangerous as well. Right here, Paul lists eight names of people who are helped to him. Now, you can divide those eight names into two groups, those who he sent and those who sent greetings. Among those who sent greetings, there were Jews and Gentiles. Let's look at some of them. So the first one is in verse 7, Tychicus. He will tell you news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of God. Who was Tychicus? Well, we first hear about him in Acts 2, the 20 verse 4. I won't read that. But he was part of the people that accompanied Paul in his mission, mission journeys. But one of the things we notice about him is that he constantly used to uh, deliver Paul's letters. He was Paul's courier. But he wasn't just an ordinary courier. If he was delivering the letter, he most likely read the letter and interpreted the letter. So in Ephesians 6 verse 21, at the end of that letter, it says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant, very similar, in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. When Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus, in 2 Timothy 4.12, says, I sent Titus to Ephesus. Or in Titus 3.12, as soon as I send Artemis or Titus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. It's courier. The letters would never have been delivered if there was not a Titus. And we won't be studying those letters if there was not a Tychicus. What about Onesimus? Well, we learn more about Onesimus, really, in the book of Philemon. And um, the, it's more, most likely that uh, Tychicus delivered both this, book, uh, this, book to the, this letter to the Colossians, but also he delivered the letter to Philemon, who was a congregant of the, uh, the Colossian church. So he delivered both of them at the same time. And so you see many similarities. Now, Bonesimus was a runaway slave. He left his master. The same way many of your maids have left you guys. <laughs> right, he ran away, 
He was not useful, and Paul was talk. He he probably was converted somewhere, maybe in um, in Rome, and 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 got connected to Paul. So Paul writes to Philemon and says, in Philemon nine uh, verse nine to eleven, he says, "It is it is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you, to you, Philemon." For my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He became his son while he was in chains. Maybe Paul ministered to him and he got converted. And now he was useful to Paul, such that he called him a son. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And so Paul is telling the um, Colossians, he is coming. Tychicus is coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dear brother who is born of you. But then you have this group of people that he is now that's sending greetings. And that starts from verse 10. We start with Aristarchus. Who is Aristarchus? He was a Macedonian and a traveling companion of Paul. We meet him in Acts 19, verse 29, where he says, Soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. And all of them rushed to, uh, to, into the theater together. Now, but notice how he describes Aristarchus. He calls him my fellow prisoner. So he's been traveling with him. We also see him in Acts chapter 27. He's been traveling with him, and he gets to Rome. Now, we're not sure why Aristarchus is arrested. In fact, chances are most likely that he volunteers himself to be arrested so that he could stay with Paul in prison and he could serve him. Because he says later that he was a comfort to him. And here's John Mark. Mark, he says is Barnabas's cousin. Barnabas's cousin. Now, Barnabas was the first person that went to bring Paul to start this mission. He brought him to Jerusalem when Paul had already been converted. And Barnabas had a cousin called Mark, and also he sent his greetings. You know, Mark, you ever read the first gospel that was written, the book of Mark? That's the Mark. And then, or sometimes it's called John Mark. And then we have Justice. We don't know much about Justice, except that he was also called Jesus. Now, it's not good when you're called Jesus. So he decided, you know how it is now. How can you bear Jesus? Now, don't forget, Jesus was a common name. It's actually the name Joshua, the Hebrew name Joshua, and now transliterated into Greek, and then we turn it into English, and then we get Jesus. So it was a common name, but now, you know, once you start having, when Jesus was your savior, it's not really the best thing. So he chose Justice. And literally, what used to happen is a lot of people used to choose names, as they were now in the Roman world. They would choose a name that sounded a Roman name that sounded like their own, you know, the name from their own place. So it showed justice. I said it reminded me, first of all, it reminded me of, um, so I know this, when I was in the UK, we had a lot of Chinese um, um, uh, students. And so you ask them your name. I remember one guy, look at him, real Chinese guy, like, you can't even mistake. What's your name? David. <laughs> guy. <laughs> like, I remember another one, this one, she was my favorite. Her name, I asked her, what's your name? She said, her name is Shiva. And Shiva, she said, yes, Shiva. I said, even the way you're pronouncing it shows that it's not your real name. That's not how it is. What's your name? Shafetang. Shafetang, okay. And so, you know, if you said Jesus, I put the understanding. So he chose justice. And these were Jews. And Paul says that they proved a comfort to me. What about the Gentiles? Epaphras, we've met him before. Epaphras was the guy who uh, planted the church in Colossae. But most likely, as we see here, probably planted the churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Because these places went far away from each other. It's sort of like 
he came and planted a church in Lekki, and then he wanted to go and plant a church in VI, and then he planted a church in Koi, City Church Lekki, City Church VI, City Church Koi. Amen, somebody? Amen. Who is going to be that Epaphras? That means if you raise up your hand. So it's like he planted in, those, in that vicinity. Because you can see here, he says that I vowed for him in verse 13. He is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and in Hierapolis. And then we have Luke, the doctor. He says he's a dear friend. This is the first time we know that Luke was actually a doctor. And you remember Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the longest of the epistles. The third one, I'm just talking when I say third day in chronology. Okay, it's also the third one actually in writing. So he wrote the book, and he also wrote which other book? The book of Acts. So he wrote, some would say, about a quarter to a third of the New Testament, just in terms of the volume of words. Very, very significant guy. Also a traveling companion of Paul. And then there is also Demas. So what Paul is showing us here is that when you think that Paul was all it took to advance the kingdom of God, you are joking. When you think that... There is one man or one woman without which this church or that ministry will not exist. You have just fallen for a myth. And I want to say it's a very dangerous myth. Now, before I get to that, just look at what Paul says. They have proven a comfort to me. Paul was in chains. Imagine what a discomforted Paul would have looked like. Now, let me tell you the truth. I don't think I'm, this, this is erroneous. I don't think I would have liked to have had coffee with Paul. Paul didn't seem like the kind of guy you want to just... I think if you are walking down the park, Paul will start having revelations and he'll start telling you about how the Gentiles were inclined. Like, Paul, not today now. Like you said that, you just want to be expanding stuff. I like Peter. Peter had a good sense of humor. Remember when, on the Mount of Transfiguration, who appeared, to Peter, uh, who appeared there? Huh? Moses and Elijah. And then Peter saw and like, ah, it don't be. <laughs> Moses... Elijah, Jesus, Lord, I have a suggestion. First of all, it is good that we are here. <laughs> Can we build three tents for you, Moses, and Elijah? To which Paul, uh, Luke says, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> because you know when sometimes you feel like you need to talk, but you don't know what to say, and you never go and say something stupid. That's the kind of guy I would like to hang out with. The guy that on the one hand says, you are the son of God, the Messiah, the, true and of the, the son of the true and living God. Um, Lord, um, no, you will not die. <laughs> On the one hand, he said, ah, God revealed that to you. On the other hand, Satan is talking to you. Would you like to hang out with that kind of guy? Or the guy that immediately says, when Jesus says, I'll wash your feet, he says, Lila, you will never wash my feet. Never! If I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of me. Lord, don't only wash my feet. <laughs> wash my... So I'd like to hang out with Peter. Paul is already a problem. But then you have a discomforted Paul in jail. Do you want to hang out with that guy? Let me tell you something. Apart from him not being fun to hang out with, he wouldn't have achieved all the things he achieved. If those guys did not comfort Paul, Paul needed comforting. Even Paul, read 2 Corinthians 1. Even Paul needed comforting. That's why he could achieve what he achieved. Guys, to think about one person being able to set up a church, a ministry, and without that person, the whole thing will crumble, there is a problem there. First of all, it doesn't reflect reality. 
If you meet anyone that says, when I started this thing with me and my wife, we're just two of us. And somehow, you know, after fasting and praying, blah, blah, it's not true, my friend. Somebody came, they helped you negotiate the land. Some people came, they gave you money. Some people prayed with you. There were many people. There were Aristarchuses. There were, uh, there were Onesimuses. There were John Marks. And here's where that thing can lead to. It can lead to an undue reverence of that person. Once we start looking at that person as such a special person that cannot be taught, as more people come in, we start giving that person undue reverence. All of a sudden, we cannot talk to that person eye to eye again. When Paul and Barnabas found themselves in a situation where they went to preach, they did some miracles, the people wanted to start worshiping them as Zeus and Jupiter, and they said, what are you guys doing? They ripped their clothes and said, you cannot do that. We are men like you. Do you see anybody that you respect today that has set up some kind of ministry? As you respect them, never forget something. They are men and they are women like you. If it first leads to undue reverence, you know what it then ends up with? You set those people up for a colossal fail. For a colossal failure. Whether it's with finances, whether it is with um, uh, sexual immorality, whether it's just the fact that they abuse people with their power, whether they become megalomaniacs, you are setting them up for a colossal fail. One man ministry and one, man, and one woman ministry thing is a myth. But here's something else I want us to see. If it, only, if, if it takes more than one person, here's another thing in verse 14 and 15. Let's read that. Now, Paul sends his own greetings. He sends his greetings to the brother and sister Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. But in verse 16, he then says, after this, let this letter, uh, after this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. In other words, there was a letter sent to Laodicea as well as to Colossae. And now Paul says, you guys should exchange and read those letters. Now, we don't know where the letter to Laodicea went to. It seems like it's lost, so it's not part of scripture. But the first thing I want us to see is this. If the, if the letter to the Laodiceans can be read in Colossians, and the letter to Colossians could be read in the Laodiceans, then it shows us why we can also study these, these letters. Because these letters, always remember this when you read the Bible, the, let, the, 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 the Bible is not written to us, but it is written for us. The Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, when sent to the Laodiceans, there are some personal things to the Colossians there, but here's the point. The exposition of Jesus as supreme over all. That is not just a teaching for the Colossians, it's a teaching for the Laodiceans, and it's a teaching for the church in all generations. Amen? But here's another thing. These two people are exchanging their letters. Why are they exchanging their letters? Friends, this is not written to the church in, in Hierapolis, and people suspect, and I think this is probably true, that the same issue that was um, happened in the Colossians, also happened in the Laodiceans, that is, the infiltration of false teaching, and most likely was not happening in Hierapolis. But here's the point, though. For these people to be able to exchange letters, that means these people used to communicate with each other. That means these churches probably were in partnership with each other. It not only takes one, uh, it, all, it's not, it doesn't only just take more than one group, uh, group of people, it takes more than one church for us to advance God's kingdom. Partnerships are important. Now, don't get me wrong, churches will not always agree on everything, but we can find places that we unite. We must at least agree on the advancing of God's kingdom. 
That's why, personally, for us as a church here, we don't do this alone. We are involved in um, uh, three, at least three church planting networks. Acts 29, so you have heard of that. Um, um, Redeemer City to City and also Orchard Group. Sometimes we have guest ministers that come here. Sometimes I go and minister in other churches. And what are we trying to do? We are trying to see churches planted all around the world so that the kingdom can advance through the preaching of the gospel. So it not only do we, do we need all of us here in this church, but we also need partnerships across other churches so that the kingdom of God may advance. Do we understand that? Well, if we do, that takes me to the second point, more than one kind of person. If I go back to um, Apple, um, when you think about Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, right? Now, Steve Jobs could code decent. It was a decent, he could write decent codes. But really, Wozniak was the coding brain. He was the one that did most of the, you know, the programming um, and all of those things. He was the one that set that up. Whereas Jobs was more the person thinking, where is the market going? It's not just, we've had mainframe computers, all of those things. Ah, I know what we need. For the first time, how about if we take that computer that we used to have in public places, let's take it to people's homes, the personal computer. So Apple was the first to bring the personal computer to our homes. So Jobs was looking at the market. The same thing with Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive, you know, he's this artistic, creative person. And you know artistic, creative people. You can't, if you, if you don't stop them, they just want to keep expressing themselves. They don't care how it can sell. They don't care about whether or not the, the math works. And that's why Steve Jobs is trying to put the business model there to know who are we trying to reach with this thing. So you have a business visionary. You have a compute, uh, you have a, a programming guru. And then you have a design genius. It's not just that you have three different people, but you have different kinds of people. And so when we think about Paul's people, the people that Paul gathered around him, it wasn't just these eight people. It was that they were different kinds of people. And Paul describes the, the different lines through which he used to describe them. So for instance, some of them were Jews. Justus, um, uh, Aristarchus, and Mark, they were Jews. So they were divided across ethnic lines. Whereas the others, like for instance, Onesimus, he says, he's one of you. Or Epaphras, he's one of you. They were Gentiles and they were from Colossae. They were divided along ethnic lines. But they were also divided along socioeconomic lines. Onesimus was a slave. The others were free men. Or they were even divided along ministry lines. So, for instance, he could say fellow servants or co-workers for people like Tychicus or people like Aristarchus. These were fellow ministers, whereas the others were not in the ministry. They were just helping the ministry. And then you had Mark. Who's Mark? Well, Mark, John Mark, was, he was, the, he was the prodigal son. You know, I don't know some of you if you know about this, but mi missions sometimes, you know what we call missions. We're not talking about missions to Lagos like some people I know. Um, but, you know, missionaries that go into different places, uncharted territories, it can be difficult, really, really difficult. They, my father-in-law went for a mission once. He went to Cameroon, some place in Cameroon. You know, they went, they ministered, fire. And by this time, he's used to stuff. You know, you don't sleep in very comfortable places. It's fine. We do that for a number of days. So the people really appreciated them. They are coming. And so they were going to give them on the last night a special meal, something that was special to them. 
So they lay the thing there, they chop it up, nice meat, when start eating, it's a nice delicacy, thank you for eating. I mean, you could see the people who are so enthusiastic to give them. It's not something they eat all the time, but because of these special people, let's give them. And so they say, here's the food. They are monkeys. Please eat. Imagine that you're about to eat and they tell you, what is in front of you now is a monkey. I told him, I said, Daddy, I believe in gospel love. I believe in not making people uncomfortable, but if they give that to me, God forbid, monkey or boar to eat it? It's not easy. Mosquito bites, different things, missionary journeys. And so these guys have been going, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they have been going, they carried back. So one day they got to a place called Pamphylia. You can see this in Acts 15, verse 36, 38. They got to Pamphylia. They all slept. They woke up the next morning. They got a note from Mark. I've gone. I'm not coming back. <laughs> he ran away. He just ran away. And so they're like, Paul never forgot it. So one day, they wanted to, Paul told Barnabas, let's go back and let's go and see some of these churches we are planting. Let's see how they are doing. And Barnabas, you know now, nepotism, I want to bring my cousin. He said, who? Mark? God forbid. They started to argue about it. Started to argue until they divided. Barnabas said, I'm going with my cousin. Paul said, don't worry. There's this guy here, Silas, Silvanus, follow me. And that's how they split. But what do we see here? Mark sends his greetings. In other words, the prodigal had returned. Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Mark eventually united. How about the last person on the list? His name is Demas. Demas. I always wondered. Notice, Tychicus, who is Tychicus? He's a dear brother and a faithful minister. Who is Onesimus? A faithful and dear brother. Who is Aristarchus? A fellow prisoner. Who is Epaphras? A servant of Christ Jesus. Who is Luke? A dear friend. Demas sends his greetings. No description about him whatsoever. You know, I don't know. You know, Yorubas are mean people. Yorubas are mean people. I, I have to say this. I'm a Yoruba man, but we can be mean. Imagine having two children. I used to see this growing up. My aunt will have two children. One of them. Bolaon, the other one, Leke. So when people visit, Bolaon has gone to university, he's come back, talking about his first, ah, Bolaon. <laughs> yeah, my son, well, I just finished the first class from uh, University of uh, Lagos. He just finished there. I don't even know what he's doing now. Oh, I think he's even applying for scholarships. What? Ah, three people even accepted him. They gave him scholarship. He just doesn't even know whether it's going to be Harvard or Yale or Columbia. All these problems, <laughs> you know. Bolaon. <laughs> So when Bonao comes home, say, Bonao, have you eaten? Shut it down. Ah, Aaron, call, bring, bring meat for him. Bring, you know what, take drink, all that they give him. And Leke is there. Leke is there. <laughs> just see Leke, just like, hey, well done, how are you? You are there. Dimas sends his greetings. That's Dimas for you. I think what started had to happen was that Dimas had started acting funny. The fact that he's actually last in this list, he started to act funny. Paul has started to see him grumble here, do things. He just wasn't, he was not on the right path. So that when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, after this letter, what does he say about Demas? Very sad. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. 
If Mark started at the wrong place but headed in the right direction, Demas was starting in the right place and was heading in the wrong direction. But here's the point. He still included Demas. With all his trouble, he still included Demas as somebody that was helping him. You see, when we are doing this thing together, we have to have space for both the Marks and the Demases. J Judas eventually betrayed Jesus, but it was Judas himself that went out to do it. Demas eventually deserted Paul, but it was not Paul that sent Demas away. It was Demas himself that deserted Paul. Whilst we journey together, listen, we're going to be divided along ethnic lines, along socioeconomic lines, but as a church, sometimes there are people that would have hurt you. Sometimes there are people that are socially awkward. Sometimes there are people that you don't like. And guess what? We have to still journey together. You see, where Satan, the enemy, directs diversity to division, God harmonizes diversity through mission. There is nothing that unites us more than the unity of purpose. If we are, and here's what happens sometimes in church. Somebody hurts us or somebody speaks to us somehow. We are not able to get, uh, we're not able to get over it. So what happens is that we first start to distance ourselves from that person in our hearts. Or maybe a particular leader is doing something you don't like. You start to distance yourself from their heart, in your heart. Then you find that they are not talking to the person more. Then to, to tell yourself that you are actually uniting, you know what you do? You unite with somebody that you like in church and possibly also has a problem with that other person. So you guys are now united. And you see, we're we actually uniting as the Bible says we should unite. That pseudo unity actually, when you come together, what you end up doing is you either gossip, you either stay away from people. So what is happening is that you have united but for your own mission, not the advance of God's kingdom. That your unity is a unity that separates you from other people in the church because of one hurt or the other. Now, don't get me wrong. Our differences matter. Our hurts matter. But if we put the advancement of the kingdom of God first and foremost, that gives us a platform to honestly talk about our differences or our hurts. You hurt me. That thing you said really hit me. Then you can find out whether the person is going to apologize, whether the person is going to repent, or maybe the person will give you clarification. But as long as we keep the advancement of the kingdom of God as priority, we will endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Why? Because God has intentionally made us different to reflect the uniting power of the gospel and to be able, with that diversity, to advance his kingdom further and further. So you may have grown up in Lagos, you may have grown up in Ilori, you may have grown up in the East, you may be working in a bank, you may be a teacher, you may be working in the, in, in, in the civil service, or you may be working in the religious sector, or maybe you had a very painful background or you had a steady background growing up. God has brought all these parts together so that we can join it together, united in the gospel, to advance that gospel. So let me ask us as a church, how united are we? How united are we? Sometimes I actually feel sadly that we are more united on a Sunday than we are actually for the church's mission. Why do I say that? You see, Epaphras, he says here, is united to these churches. And when he's united to them, he's doing what? He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Are you really united? Kingdom Prayer Day. How often do we think about it? when it's announced. 
Or they said that Epaphras is working hard for you guys. Now, the working hard most likely is related to the fact that those two churches have been infiltrated by false teaching. So he's working hard to work against that false teaching. Theology day. You see, these things are not just programs that we have in this church. These are means through which we come together as a church, we learn together to advance the mission and the vision that God has given to us. So before we say we are truly united, do we make time for these things? Or I think what pains me most is that for some of us, we just don't think about it. We don't even regret not making it. We don't say, oh, I won't be able to make it because of this and this. It's just, it's not my thing. Or not my people. Not on my time. True unity. Even though we are different, the mission of God unites us together. I'm not saying we can make every single thing. But I'm saying let your heart be tied to the mission so that when you don't make it, you regret not making it. And then you do everything you can to make the next one. Amen? I think we're having Theology Day this Wednesday, right? All right, that takes me to the last point. More of the grace of one God. You know, I really love this, the way Paul ends this letter. It's so brief and yet so profound. How does he end it? He says this, grace be with you. Grace be with you. You know what's so funny about that? How did Paul start this letter? Go to Colossians 1 verse 2. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Not just any kind of grace. Grace from God the Father. But Paul starts with grace and he ends with grace. You see, ultimately, guys, our lives, the gifts that God has given you, the position that God has given you, but also the circumstances he's put you in. Some of us are in difficult circumstances as I speak to you now. Some of us are in very nice circumstances. All of these things God has given to us. Why? For the advancement of God's grace in God's kingdom. To advance God's kingdom, we need his grace. You see, falling into the trap of wanting to advance our own kingdom, you know what that leads to? This grace. Why did, God, why did Paul write the book of Colossians? Well, he wanted to warn a church that they have to be wary of falling into the danger of earthly-minded, sophisticated, human-centered teaching. As we are so prone to here in Lagos, so many things, so many teachings are available for us inside the church and outside of the church. They start to take us away from the truth of the gospel. Paul is saying, guys, all the things that you need, the solution to your marriage, the solution to your parenting, the solution, all of those things, they come in the grace of God that has been supplied through God's Son coming into this world, dying for you, rising from the grave, ascending to heaven, and it's going to return. The gospel is the thing that we need. And that gospel that has come to us, it came to us by God's grace and is beginning to renew our lives. But that gospel needs to grow and grow in our city so that it can renew the lives of more people. 
And at the end of our days, we can say, I started with God's grace. I continued with God's grace. And I ended with God's grace. The journey of our renewing our lives started with His grace. I hope we can see the renewal of our city through a gospel-centered movement by His grace. And I hope when we come to the end of our lives, whatever we have achieved, whatever we are known for, we can say, it's only by His grace. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.